This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. I really, I really forgot how much I love the Midwest, even though our spring is so delayed. But Farmer D is like back in action today. Farmer D, let's hear. Yeah, I've I've got this like overall like jumpsuit thing on and everything. I was gonna say I like the jumpsuit. What are we growing? What are we growing? What are we harvesting? What aren't we growing? I have this hydroponic plant stand and it is the pride and joy for me for like the spring, summer and late fall because all I have to do is order these little seedlings and I fill up this massive tank and it has this pump and I put in like special fertilizer in the water and it just runs and it constantly waters my plants and I have all the kale you could ever want. I have, I'm growing bok choy, I'm growing cauliflower, I'm growing rainbow Swiss chard, and it is amazing. <laughs> well, I'll have to come over for like all of the veggies and uh, yes. you know, to cook it all up for me too. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I just, anything to get you to Cleveland to visit because we haven't seen each I other know. in so long. I know, I know. Ugh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I know. It's going to be so much fun. But at least we have our weekly episodes that we get to record and see each other. And this week, we are speaking to the Booby Docs. We have Dr. Robin Roth on. She is a board-certified breast radiologist who specializes in breast and abdominal imaging. Y'all, there's so much we did not even begin to touch in this episode about how awesome she is. Like, she's Started. She's the fellowship director at Cooper University Hospital, and she founded the fellowship program in 2018. Like, she's a badass, along with being super knowledgeable. So knowledgeable. And in this episode, we break down a lot of myths around breast cancer. We talk about when to get screened, what screening should look like, how to identify risk factors, what to do if you have a family medical history. This is such a wealth of knowledge, this whole episode. I also love how we go into depth talking about self breast exams. So be sure to tune in and listen all the way through to this episode to get all of this necessary and very, very important information. And if you have loved ones in your life that have been affected by breast cancer in any way, share it along, you guys. We are so excited to share this episode and we'll catch you on the other side. All right, everyone, welcome back to the WOMED. Happy Friday. Today, Jack and I have been waiting. We've been watching you for a while, but today we finally get to have Dr. Robin Roth, the booby doc, part of the booby ducks, plural, (laughs) on the WOMED today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And it's funny that you say you've been watching me for a long time because I've been watching you for a long time. Oh, really? Well, I mean, well, first of all, if you could see my shirt, it says final rose material. Oh my God. <laughs> and I really debated, I struggle with like, should I wear it? Should I not? It's like wearing a band, con- like t-shirt to a concert. But I was like, when else am I going to have the opportunity to speak to somebody from Bachelor Nation that I really have adored for a long time? Robin. 
Robin, we have a lot of questions for you. So I will say you are welcome to stay on after the call and ask Danny some. Oh my God. Totally related questions that she's allowed allowed to answer. Um, So Dr. Roth, you are a board certified breast radiologist. You specialize in breast and abdominal imaging. Danny and I actually both have personal connections to breast cancer, as I think nowadays, unfortunately, most women do. Danny lost a very, very dear friend to breast cancer. My mom was diagnosed early with breast cancer um, in her 40s. Uh, Luckily, she is doing really well now. She's been in remission for about five years. But Yeah, unfortunately, we have very personal ties to breast cancer. So we're really excited to jump in everything, breast cancer, mammograms, self-exams, all the things with you. But before we jump into all that, I'm curious, do you have a, a personal tie to breast cancer or anything that kind of drove you into the radiology field specifically for breast cancer? Yes, definitely. And I love that both of you have ties. Unfortunately, most people have ties because breast cancer is so common that it's so common that we know someone like a loved one that's been affected by breast cancer. So you are not alone. And for me personally, my my cousins, my first cousins were diagnosed with breast cancer in their 30s. One was uh, early 30s. And when one was found it and got diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, initially she was told it's probably nothing to worry about you know, let's watch it. And she's like, no, 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 I want the biopsy. And it ends up being, you know, an aggressive form of breast cancer, which is very common in young women, especially. She ended up getting genetic testing and she had a spontaneous BRCA2 mutation. Um, So she was diagnosed, you know, and that really affected her treatment plan. She didn't even get diagnosed with BRCA2 until the end and it did change her management. So that was an important piece of her story. And then my her older sister got tested and she was BRCA positive and she got diagnosed with breast cancer as well. So this was when I was, you know, a teenager deciding what I wanted to do. I decided I wanted to go to med school. And, you know, as I kept making choices, I decided, you know, I wanted to do radiology because for me, like the radiologist is the doctor that interprets your imaging and would do any biopsy if needed. As a radiologist, I'm like one level removed from direct patient care, which I really like because sometimes when you're dealing with heavy topics like breast cancer, then, you know, it's very easy to take home with you. So at least I feel like I I chose radiology because I was like one layer removed from the patient. So I wasn't taking all of it home with me. And then breast radiology kind of was a natural choice after realizing I wanted to help women like my cousins. Um, and they were just so inspiring. And thankfully, they're 15 years out and still thriving. And, and, and it's been incredible. They love watching my journey through all of this. I actually had them on my podcast recently as well. That's so special. That That's something I didn't know. Can you have a like a later BRCA diagnosis? Like, can you have like a later does that happen? Like a hidden gene mutation? Well, so there's their family mutation was like a spontaneous mutation along the gene line somewhere. And, you know, they were diagnosed 15 years ago, you know, back, I can't even do the math, but, you know, early 2000s when genetic testing wasn't as accessible as it as it is now, um, which is so incredible. So unfortunately, you know, she was diagnosed as like, it was like the afterthought. We're like, oh yeah, we should do the Angelina Jolie gene, right? Now, we know there's so many more genes. There's so much updated genetic testing that's so much more available now. 
So hopefully women are diagnosed with a genetic mutation before a breast cancer diagnosis. Like that is the point of genetic screening and understanding your risk factors, which is something I really want to talk to your listeners about. Yes, yes, definitely. I'm not sure if you follow uh, Dr. Shoshana Ungleiter, but um, her father was recently diagnosed with the BRCA gene and actually recently passed, but that's what led her down this whole journey of, well, she's BRCA positive. She had a voluntary um, double mastectomy, hysterectomy, just because that's what worked out best for her and to, to prolong her life. So I actually learned about her after uh, listening or watching to her on your podcast. And she was incredible. I actually just reached out to her to try to have her on mine as well. And yeah, a genetic mutation, you know, knowledge about a genetic mutation has so many implications, right? So, you know, having a genetic mutation such as BRCA increases your risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, melanoma. So knowing that you have a genetic mutation you know, the earlier we can know about it, the better, because there are things you could do to catch cancer early or even prevent or reduce your risk of developing cancer. I hate to use the word prevent because I think that there is no way I'm very, I feel very adamant about that, that there's no way to prevent cancer. You could lower your risk significantly through lifestyle modifications, but prevent, like you could do everything right and still get a certain type of cancer that is like preventable by not smoking or not, you know, doing X or Y or Z. Um, and it's not your fault right? Like nothing you did cause your own cancer. So I feel strongly about that. I would love to jump into the risk factors that you just mentioned. I think even before we kind of get into the imaging, because obviously that's a, so important to talk about, but uh, you know, a lot of our listeners maybe are in the age range for mammograms. Maybe they're not in that age range yet. And regardless of if that's time for you, yeah, let's, let's jump into the risk factors. Unfortunately, most people that are diagnosed with breast cancer have no known genetic mutation or family history of breast wow. cancer. So everyone is at risk for breast cancer, even men. Okay. So it's really important for everyone to be breast self-aware. Mm. We're going to ask you some questions about that later. We'll get too. To that later. Okay. There's a lot about yeah. that. Oh yeah. And it's controversial. Like everything in breast cancer is controversial. And I don't know why I think a little bit politicized, but so understanding your risk factors is really important. So one of the newer recommendations that came out from the society, I think it's the, uh, I can't remember which rec which society recommended it, but all women should have a conversation with their healthcare providers starting at age 25, but ideally before age 30, so that high risk individuals can be identified so that they would benefit from earlier or supplemental imaging. So what that means. So like, let's say that you, you know, there's ways to have your risks were evaluated. I'm just going to talk about some of the common risk factors. So having a first degree relative diagnosed with breast cancer, having dense breast tissue, which we'll talk about. Um, and most people don't know their breast density yet because they haven't had a mammogram. You know, a lot of things related to your menstrual cycle, like how, when you got your first period, how many children did you have? You know, there are things that add and take away. If you've ever had a breast biopsy that was atypical all of these things can increase your breast cancer risk. Um, and just, you know, having not even breast cancer, but just a family history of cancer. Like they'll ask you about other types of cancers because sometimes these are related through genetic mutations. And that's really the goal is trying to identify people that might benefit from genetic screening. I always recommend that everyone has their risk, their breast cancer risk 
run by a healthcare professional that feels comfortable doing with this with you. And really anyone should, can that should that can take a good history and family history. But I like to recommend the Tyra Kuzik calculator. So it's Y-R-E-R-C-U-Z-I-C-K calculator. And basically you could Google it. You could kind of, it will ask you the questions. You can plug in your own information and really find out your risk back, your breast cancer risk. Okay, so lifetime risk of breast cancer, average 12%. One in eight, right? We all know that statistic. I'm intermediate. I'm at like 15%, probably given my Ashkenazi Jewish heritage, my history of breast cancer, my family history of breast cancer. Now I know I have dense breast tissue. So I'm at intermediate risk. I'm about 15%. Um, and a lot, I think a lot of people fall in that category. Over 20% is that is considered high risk for developing breast cancer. Those are the people that we really definitely want to, you know, start screening earlier, which will, uh, I'm going to further that up and also possibly add supplemental MRI or ultrasound. Okay. So, you know, so we might start MRI as early as age 25 and mammography as early as age 30. I mean, I am currently putting in my risk factors to the score that you just gave us. So I'm going to let you guys know what my risk is. I'm lit I literally just pulled it up because I, I want our listeners to know how easy this is. And it's taking me about five minutes. And like I said, I also have a family medical history of it. So like my, my mom, first degree relative. So it's big. I'm like actually really concerned about, and I, it's not something I've ever talked to a doctor about. I go to the doctor, but no one ever brings it up and they know it's in my chart, but everyone's always just like, oh, you're still young. Like, don't worry about it. But a lot of young people develop breast cancer. Right. So that's where the self-breast exam and breast self-awareness comes into play. Again, we'll talk about that later because it's controversial. But, you know, going off what Jackie said, a good rule of thumb is that, you know, you want to start screening mammography if your average risk at age 40 every year. But if you're at high risk, you're going to want to start ma'am, or 10 years before your earliest first degree relative. Okay, so if your mom was diagnosed at 45, then you would want to start at 35 with, you know, mammogram and possibly even considering MRI in there as well, depending on how proactive you want to be. Um, you know, there's there's pluses, there's pros and cons of any imaging tests. Well, I just, okay, so I just did my risk score, everyone updating. You're going to be high. 23% lifetime risk, yeah. You're going to be high. So, so how old are you? Yeah. No. I'm 30. I'm almost 33. Okay. All right. Well, this is like the perfect time for you to walk your listeners through what you're going to do about this. Right? Knowledge is power. This is what we're going to, this is like good because now you're going to take that information. We know you're high risk. Okay. Which I could have told you, you know. I mean, okay, this makes sense though, because the population, like the average risk, what is like 10 or 11%. So it's like, if you, yeah. So if you have a, a first degree relative with breast cancer, it kind of, I'm not surprised, it double, it basically doubles your risk. It does. Okay. Like that's, I, that's yeah. I think the number, I'll tell you exactly, but I think it does, having a first degree relative doubles your, your risk of developing breast cancer. So we start 10 years earlier, okay? And we might add extra imaging. So a lot of times, if you're high risk, then we'll start adding an, MRI as well. So we'll do like a mammogram in January and an MRI in June. So kind of every six months, you're getting some kind of breast imaging. Right. Okay. And starting earlier, but you're not too late. Now's a great time to start. And I think you should record all of this because this is important and you could help women like you who don't understand that they are at increased risk for developing breast cancer. You know, those are the ones that are going to be like one day in the shower, find a lump and you're like, oh no, it's breast cancer. And we could have screened you, you know, like right. Point of screen of breast cancer screening 
is to identify breast cancer before it is symptomatic. Once it's symptomatic, it's usually large and you know, maybe has spread. Like most people are not good about doing a self breast exam. Not to, this should not scare you. This conversation, like you're, it's not. Yeah, it shouldn't scare you. No. Honestly, you know. Right. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. As far as like the risk reward goes, and we're going to talk a little bit more about mammograms and the recommendations for everyone, but like you're saying, it, it makes sense. Like just go get, just go get a mammogram, just start them earlier. Like this all sounds great. What is that risk reward? But there's blocks. And like, why is there that, that weight? Is it really kind of um, like a money thing with the healthcare system? Like they don't want to find false positives, you know, like, yeah. Okay. So the reason, so the, you know, some people's hesitancy to ordering additional screening tests, and I feel strongly about this. I don't think we should be ordering screening imaging tests for, you know, just anybody like, you know, because sometimes, you know, don't just get a CAT scan because you're just want to make sure you don't have cancer because you're general, you know, you're just worried because your friend was diagnosed with cancer. But if it's really indicated, then I think it's a conversation, right? So MRI, having an MRI is very sensitive. You know, it's it's more sensitive imaging tests than a mammogram, but it's also not very specific. So something might enhance that's not breast cancer, but we can't tell that by looking at it, especially if it's your first. You know, your first is always the hardest because we have nothing to compare it to as a radiologist, right? So we're looking for changes. So, you know, you're going to start, let's say you get an MRI and we see a little ditzel, you know, and is that cancer or is that something that we feel comfortable following? Is it something that needs a biopsy or is it something that we have to follow? You know, with any imaging test, there's anxiety. It's called anxiety, right? The, the fear of getting a test and getting the result. And it's real, you know, so all these tests are anxiety producing and, you know, and hopefully you're just praying everything comes back normal. But like at the end of the day, let's say we found something and we biopsy it and we prove it's benign. Most people will, you know, feel reassured. Most people will tell you that these, you know, these image guided procedures are not that painful or terrible of an experience overall. It's, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. Have you ever had a biopsy? I've actually, I've had a mammogram before and that was with an implant and everything. And it wasn't nearly as uncomfortable as I thought it was going to be, but yeah, that, that scan anxiety is freaking real. I ended up. It's even worse once you have a cancer diagnosis and you're looking to see if it's, you know, worse or better. And, you know, it's a matter of life and death in some cases, like, you know, whether a medication can be used. So I understand anxiety is real and the fear of, you know, getting any imaging tests is always very scary, but knowledge is power. Like knowing you have breast cancer, the earlier we can catch it, the better the outcomes, right? We have less aggressive surgeries, possibly avoiding chemotherapy, better long-term outcomes and better survival rate overall. Those are all things that are benefits of early detection. 
why individuals need cancer screening in general and, you know, why high-risk people should consider it. I actually didn't know how you just mentioned that MRI is, is it, it's a lower dose of radiation. So it's a safer. So how does that play into this, the mammogram discussion about how much radiation women are exposing themselves to, or is it like such a low amount that it's. Yeah, these are great questions. So there's three basic imaging modalities we use in, in breast imaging. Okay. Mammography where the mammogram is an x-ray of your breast. That is a general screening tool. That is a screening tool for the general population. Everyone gets that. Mammography is a standard of care right now for breast cancer detection. I think some things are going to come down the road that are better and can improve it, which I would, I would be happy for. I would be thrilled for, okay, because I think there's room to improve. Okay, so then an MRI has no radiation, okay? It's magnetic imaging of your breast or any body part. It does require intravenous contrast, intravenous gadolinium. Okay. And that has a little bit of risk. Like it can get deposited in your kidneys. It can get deposited in your brain if you have too much. Um, but it's a very low dose of uh, contrast. And, you know, most, if you have normal kidney function, it should not be a problem. MRI is not the best. Like a lot of people have anxiety about it because it's usually in like a closed tube and you're in there for 40 minutes. And it's a lot. And it makes noise. If you've ever had, you can hear the magnet, the magnet whooshing in your ear. So it's a lot. And then there's ultrasound and ultrasound is no radiation. It uses sound waves. And we use that a lot in, if you feel a lump and we want it, we have a much better resolution. So you're able to see smaller things. So we always, let's say somebody comes in with a lump. If you're under 30, we start with an ultrasound. If you're over 30, we start with a mammogram and then the ultrasound. The mammogram is to give the global picture of the breast and see what's going on. The ultrasound is a little bit more specific. It's a great, like I said, no radiation. It can let us look specifically at an area that you're worried about. Like if you have a lump, it's very important to get an ultrasound. You cannot just be reassured by a mammogram if you have a lump, but you're like, oh, my mammogram was fine. We needed that ultrasound. So that's important. Um, we use it a lot in dense breast tissue, which I know we'll talk about some more, you know, helping us to find earlier cancers in women with dense breast tissue because dense breast tissue makes it harder to see cancer. So that's another great imaging modality. We're using it more and more. I recently, last week I turned 41 and I had my uh, second mammogram. I documented the whole thing and I showed me getting the mammogram and a survey ultrasound because I said I have dense breast tissue and that intermediate risk factor for breast cancer. Uh, one important thing I forgot to mention, the, the dose of a mammogram, the radiation dose of a mammogram is 0.3 milligray, which uh, I'm sorry, millise 0.3 millisieverts, which is equivalent to like walking around life for two weeks from the radiation you get from background radiation from the sun. So it's very minimal. Wow. Very minimal. <laughs> Not to, you know, cumulatively, you know, when people get called back for lots of mammograms and then every year, you know, I see how it adds up, but mammograms are not the source of like that we need to be really like, you know, there are definitely higher radiation studies. This is a very low dose, low risk radiation study. And the benefit is that we can detect cancer early. God, that's so, amazing. <laughs> so much information, but this is fantastic. I'm um, so happy to spread it to your listeners because it really is so important. And there's a lot, like it's a lot to take in. Well, I feel like with social media alone, you're more people are sharing their stories with breast cancer, their journeys with it. If they have a um, family member or they're BRCA positive and they're getting these preventative mastectomies when they're in their twenties and going through these, but 
I mean, like I, I follow just like a couple of people I have been following throughout the years have gotten recent breast cancer diagnoses and they're 30. My friend who passed away was 32, 33. Like she's very, very young. I think people are felt like, you know, I think in people's mind, they think breast cancer is like an old person disease Mm -hmm. and it's not like, let me be the first to tell you it's not. I diagnose women with breast cancer every day in their thirties, definitely their forties, 20 yesterday, I had a 28 year old, like so many young breast cancer. And I feel like personally it's rising in the young population. I don't think the numbers show that yet, but I do think that they're going to see an upspike. Um, and we know that young women are the population of people that are not being screened. So they're going to be, you know, if they're lucky, they will catch it when, you know, when they feel it, when they're going to present once it's palpable, the earlier we could find that and that their symptoms be taken seriously. Uh, and then they get the appropriate imaging and biopsies they need then, you know, that's what we really need to, you know, we just need to make sure that we're taking people's complaints seriously, especially when it comes to their breasts. You know, if you have a lump that just doesn't feel right, I, you know, I think that you have to know, you know, your body breasts. I always say you're your own breast advocate. And really, I feel like you have to, it's hard, but you have to make sure that your needs are being met. So if you feel like a provider is possibly not taking your concerns seriously, you could ask for imaging politely, you know, it's, I feel really more comfortable if we got this evaluated, uh, by, you know, a mammogram and, or an ultrasound, you know, say the booby doc sent you. And, uh, you know, I really think it's important, you know, you are, you know, your body best and you're your own breast advocate and really, you know, go with that gut. I think people have a hard time standing up, especially to healthcare providers, so it can be hard and just making sure that again, and also that things are moving. Like you said, there are lots of roadblocks on the way getting diagnosed. So, you know, I think it's so important to educate everybody, you know, women and, and men, you know, everybody and healthcare professionals also that this is important information. I have just a few more mammogram questions and then I definitely want to jump into the self breast exams. So just really quick, if you were to go in requesting to a provider a, an early detection mammogram, are they hesitant to order that? Because will insurance cover it if it's not indicated um, a mammogram? And then just really quick, I want to jump into how we've been talking about uh, dense breast tissue. If there's any way to kind of know if you have dense breast tissue before you go into a mammogram and then implants. Yes. Lincidors that have implants. I was going to say, that's a good topic because there's a lot there. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on with the implant world as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I would recommend, like, if you're getting any resistance from your doctor, there are health breast health specialists that you could possibly make an appointment for. I think they're becoming more and more common. I know my hospital has something called a dense breast clinic or a high risk clinic where you like. Like if you wanted to just be evaluated or, you know, just have a conversation with an educated healthcare provider that, you know, that is trained in this, whether they're a breast uh, surgery nurse practitioner, there's like, I feel like it's more and more increasing things that we see that there's a need for this kind of, am I at risk? You know, let's, because like I said, a lot of general practitioners and OBGYNs are not really educated on this. So I think it is you know, if you're, if you're breast, you know, pro breast health, you know, maybe you just get a breast 
specialist, whether that's a breast surgeon, like it, like a lot of places you might just see the breast surgeon. It doesn't mean you're getting breast surgery. It just means you're seeing a breast care specialist. And they might even be able to say, you know what, we have a high risk clinic for you. Here's the number. So I think more and more places. So I would say call like one of the bigger institutions in your area, see if they have a breast health specialist or even, you know, get genetic counseling like which it sounds like you actually might need and they might even be able to do you know once you have a documented high risk of breast cancer insurance can't fight that as much so it does make to have it genetically screened um you know so you might want to do more proactive things about see a breast specialist so got it okay that that makes a lot of sense with implants and mammograms and implants and breast cancer, like I uh, last year had mine swapped out because I had the textured implants in, but I had an issue with my textured implant a couple years prior that they ended up labeling as like a non-lactating mastitis, but it was one breast only. It was swollen, sore. It had this weird sort of like red demarcation around my nipple and I was fucking panicked. Did you get imaging at that time? I did. Yeah. yeah. Because like I I mean it it hurt so bad that like if like it just hurt even to wear a shirt that any sort of pressure on it. Um I went in and saw my gyno and she's like, okay, this looks very strange. Um let's get you in for a mammogram and ultrasound and we'll just make sure. There wasn't any drainage or anything like that, but it was just like, what the hell is going on? And since, yeah. And, you know, since then, I feel like I always have my hands on my boobs because I'm like, I'm lotioning them up. I'm like, you know, like using that to like feel like every day I'm literally touching my breasts just to make sure that there's like nothing weird going on. All right. Well, there's so much I want to talk about. I mean, I could talk about breast implants for its whole episode, which I won't. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we'll have you on for another one, because sometimes I'm like, these feel too big. Maybe I should get rid of them. And then I'm like, ah, but I like how I feel up close. No. So there's we're seeing breast implants in the news a lot, unfortunately. Right. Because recently, like you said, there was an association with textured breast implants and breast imp- implant associated large cell lymphoma. Um, you know, it was rare, but it was enough that they started recalling these textured implants and swapping them out. And now there recently came out that there's like this new association of squamous cell carcinoma with breast implants, both smooth and textured. And I'm like, just when you thought you were out of the clear. So, you know, it is a problem. I think that we just take like anything else, you know, you take your breast seriously. If there's something focal that's bothering you, you get the appropriate imaging test. You had a mammogram, had an ultrasound. If you were really worried about it, the best way to image uh, implant is to say a, a silicone implant is to get a breast MRI. So we sometimes do a tailored breast MRI using implant protocol to assess implant integrity. Implants can rupture, they can contracture. There's all these things that can go wrong with implants. There's breast implant disease, which when I'm going to talk about bachelor nation, Claire Crawley recently had her things out for breast implant illness, which is more of a vague you know, it's hard to like really pinpoint a diagnosis, but when you take them out, they feel better. You know, they feel just crappy mm-hmm. and then they feel better when they take it out. So it's like a little hard to diagnose. It's kind of a waste bad diagnosis. But if you think about it, like you're putting something foreign in your body 
and your body's probably going to react in some way. I so felt that way with the Paragard IUD. As soon as it came out, it felt I felt like 10 pounds lighter. It was insane. No, I recently, I breastfed three children. I'm done. My breasts are not as perky as they once were. I looked into getting breast augmentation, like, and uh, much to my husband's dismay. And, you know, I, I saw a plastic surgeon. He's like, I really would like to do an implant um, associated with the lift because you just don't have enough tissue. I'm really hesitant. Like, I don't really think I want to do that knowing what I know. And, you know, I'm, my husband doesn't care what my breasts look like. And, you know, and, you know, so I just know that there's not to knock implants and I think they're great and they look beautiful, but you know, it's something to think about, you know, is it worth it? I think everything has its risk. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Now, one quick question just that popped in with the implants. If you were someone who decided, you know what, I'm just going to get rid of these implants, but you're like me and have like an extremely small chest and very small, dense breast tissue, how does, I mean, there's a lot of studies now doing like fat transfers to the breast. How does that, does that show up any differently with imaging or is that like harmful in any way? Yeah, so- like a, all right. So let's talk about imaging with implants. You can, as you know, when we do a mammogram with implants, we push it out of the way. We do a regular implant and then we do something called implant displaced images where we push the, the implant all the way back and squeeze your breast really tight and put in the mammogram sheet. It's crazy. I have a video about it that I haven't posted yet. You know, so and implants can obscure our view, especially when they're big and they're silicone, it can obscure your view. So, you know, I do think that something to consider is ultrasound as well especially if you have dense tissue, because we are obscuring a large portion of tissue. Um, so it's something to consider. I'm interested in fat transplants too, because I've been, I haven't seen a lot about that. To me, I'm like, that makes sense because it's more natural. You know, that one of the things I don't, I haven't seen a lot of imaging on that, but I would imagine you get something called fat necrosis. Some people where it kind of calcifies and hardens a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that on the mammogram and, you know, imaging. But I do think it's probably less obstructive than implants. On this note with the implants and imaging, I just have, I have another question to maybe debunk. And this is something that I don't know if when I heard this and if it's like even back in, in any evidence at all. So with people thinking about getting a preventative mastectomy, 
like double mastectomy and then going in and doing augmentation. I've heard once that that they there was a time where they didn't recommend that because it can obscure the imaging of a mammogram because scar tissue will form in that area. What is the deal with that? So, yeah, I mean, if so if you get a preventative mastectomy, you've essentially lowered your breast cancer risk to like 90, by 90%. So you have like a reasonable 10% risk of breast cancer. The thing about people that have mastectomy and do develop breast cancer is it's usually superficial. It's usually palpable, which, you know, going into the self-breast exam, why that's so important. So, you know, a lot of times we're not routinely imaging people that have mastectomy, you know, it really depends on how much breast tissue a surgeon leaves behind when doing your mastectomy. I've seen a lot. It varies a lot by the surgeon. So it is, I don't know, I don't know how you find out this information, but like how much, ask your surgeon, like how much breast tissue did you leave? Like, is this something I still need to be concerned about? Because every so often I see it like person who's had a mastectomy, but I see a lot, like they get a breast MRI for one thing and they still have a lot of tissue, especially behind the nipple. So in those cases, maybe breast imaging is indicated, you know, maybe even just an ultrasound or something like that. So we're not like routinely imaging people after a preventative mastectomy. Um, but in it's there's not that there's not a risk of breast cancer. It's just that, you know, hopefully they'll be superficial. You know, you don't have that much breast tissue. But if you do, maybe you do consider doing um, some kind of imaging test. So I think it's a conversation with your surgeon. You know, and then there are reconstructive options, so not implants, but if you wanted, well, number one, more and more people are going flat, okay? If you follow the breast cancer community at all, there are women that are like, you know, I don't need these breasts. Like, this doesn't define my femininity, and they do beautiful things with it. They put beautiful tattoos across their their chest. And it's really like almost like a, you know, F you to the, to, you know, the patriarchy. And so I love that. But then there's also something called a a, a flap reconstruction or a tagless, you know, tagless reconstruction. I feel like an idiot right now, but where you use your own tissue. So where they kind of like, let's say it's preventative, you could take your abdominal fat, transfer it up here. It's, it's you get a little benefit of kind of like uh, you know a little bit tightening here and a natural more natural look here. It needs to be the right patient population. Like it's a much bigger surgery, so it's something that like you know if you're a breast cancer patient and you decide to go that route for reconstruction, you just have to might have to have a little abdominal fat, um, you know, and be able to tolerate a bigger surgery. So not all people are candidates for it, but it is more something to consider, and I think it is something that, you know, as implants have, you know, if people have fear about implants, it's something we might see more of. They recently had this big drama with the the reimbursement of over these flap reconstructions, which was a big deal cancer community and like a lot of advocacy groups. Because right now, a lot of, I don't exactly understand the entire reimbursement, but some portions of it were not being reimbursed, which was like not promoting surgeons to do it, you know, because they might not get reimbursed as much. And it's a much more complicated surgery. Right. Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm hoping to kind of jump now a little bit into self-breast exams. 
So I actually work as a, a nursing faculty now, and I was just lecturing this week on doing the female anatomy, the breast exam, and then G female GU exam. And once again, I always start this lecture with now. The recommendation has changed, which it pisses me off. I know, you know, so for our listeners that maybe don't know, we'll just kind of update. So for the, for the listeners that maybe don't know, the recommendation is that you do not do self-rest exams every year or I'm sorry, every month, mm -hmm. but they recommend that you notice any differences. So how the hell are you supposed to notice any differences if you're not doing self-rest exams? Exactly. It's so, so dumb. It's, it's so, so dumb. Like it really fires me up. So let's hear your like. Let's go on the soapbox. I want to hear your your booby doc. Ready to knock it out of the park? Okay, I've been preparing this pitch my whole life. Okay, okay. let's do it. Lay so it back, on us. So back in 2015, the American Cancer Society no longer recommends the self-breast exam for women of average risk. So um, fucking dumb. I'm sorry. So fucking dumb. Okay, Ron, you're assuming that people are like in their mind knowing their breast cancer risk factors, which they do not, you know, and most of the people that we want to catch like are very, the young women, we need to catch them. Like that's, that's who really benefits the most from the self-breast exam. And, and, but they did say you want to be breast self-aware, which to me is just political linguistics, like breast self-aware, like yeah. what a term, like self-aware. <laughs> So I always, I'm going to grab. So yeah, so there's controversy around that. But let me tell you the fact. So 80% of young women find their breast cancers themselves. Okay, 80% of women. Okay, and the self-breast exam is so easy to do. The reasons that they cite are that you might find, like the anxiety, like again, placing their values on women's health care. So, you know, that we can't handle finding a lump. Oh my God, you know, like little old me, what am I going to do? And then also, you know, that there's more false positives. So it might lead to imaging tests or a biopsy that isn't cancer, which they're considering a false positive, but it's not necessarily a false positive. Like we found a lump, we were worried about it. We pursued the appropriate imaging test. We pursued the biopsy test. And now we all feel better. Like it was just a retinoma. And there's so much information to gain and so much little to lose, you know, so much to mm. so much. I don't, you know what I'm trying to say there. I love that. So much information to gain little to lose. I love that. That sums it up perfectly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I would love the opportunity. I always tell women that I pull out my busty <laughs> little booby here from nerd bugs, which I love. It's a female physician founded organ company. Um, so anyways, so, so I always encourage everyone to, to know their breasts and, you know, you choose the same time each month. Ideally it would be day seven to 10 of your menstrual cycle, but who really knows that? So anytime is best. I like to say, feel it on the first. I always post about that with some, you know, cute or catchy post because I really think it's just about, you know, something I love. It's catchy. I love alliteration. It's going to get you to do it. You're not going to forget it. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to look at your breasts in the mirror. Like when you're getting dressed, you kind of want to flex your breasts and put your arms above your head as well. And you're really just looking for any changes, any rashes that under your breasts, you know, things you might not have noticed before. Just pay extra attention to them. Ask your partner to look at, have you noticed this before on me? Um, and then again, then you're going to want to start feeling, okay? And what you're really looking for, you know, 
I don't care how you do it. You know, three fingers, firm pressure, circular pressure, just get to know them. You know, you're really looking for lumps or, um, you know, skin dimpling that you never notice. You're looking for rashes that were never there. You're going to squeeze your nipples and make sure there's no discharge. Um, you really want to make sure you're not forgetting the armpit and the clavicle area. There is breast tissue all the way out here. And again, a lot of times that's not even included in the field of view for a mammogram. So it is really important. We're feeling all the way up there. Yeah. And if you notice something, let's say you find a lump, don't freak out just yet. Okay. You know, I understand that's our natural inclination, but like, Ask your partner to feel it. Have you ever noticed it? And pay attention to it over the next few days. See what it does, okay? So lumps that are like normal, normal lumpy breast tissue that everyone, oh, you know, a lot of young people have, that's gonna fluctuate. It will come and go. It will uh, fluctuate based on your period. If you notice a lump and it's getting bigger or harder or just not going away or it just doesn't feel right to you, you're like, I need this evaluated to like, I'm freaking out. Then you bring it to the attention of your doctor, make sure they do a good physical exam. And then, you know, they might say it's nothing. It's a clogged duct. It's a cyst. You know, if you feel comfortable with that, again, they might say, come back in a few, you know, in two weeks, let's see, let's pay attention. That's reasonable too. But at some point you might say, you know what, I would just feel really more comfortable if we got the appropriate imaging. I'm under age 30, that's a, you know, an ultrasound. I'm over age 30, that's a mammogram and ultrasound. So really, you know, knowledge again is power. You know, if the, if the radiologist looks at it appropriately, like we do the mammogram, we do the ultrasound right where you're having the complaint and there's nothing there, then we feel better about it. It doesn't entirely exclude cancer, actually. Like we, you know, we'd say, keep feeling it, make sure it's not growing because there are some cancers that we can't see on imaging well under 4%, but it's not zero. So take those complaints seriously, especially if it's getting bigger and harder. And, you know, or we might find something that warrants a biopsy. And I'll talk to you a little bit about what to expect for an image-guided biopsy, because really, let's say we find a lump. We think it's a vibratinoma. We want to be sure. So what we do is, you know, we just do it under ultrasound or mammogram or however we see it best. We give you some numbing medicine in the skin. We give it deeper through the tissue. We're doing everything under imaging guidance. It really, it's a pinch and burn, and then you feel pressure. It, I always tell it should not be painful. If you're feeling pain, ask for more numbing medication. It should not hurt. We take a few samples of it, and then we always leave a clip. It's always really important to leave a biopsy clip in case it needed to come out for any reason, especially if it's small. If, if we biopsy it and we don't leave a clip and then it ends up being cancer, we've caused a bigger problem. Um, so it's always really important we put that clip. You know, if it's big and palpable, sometimes young patients don't want it. And um, I feel uncomfortable with that, but I usually try to get everyone to have an imaging clip. It also lets people, future people know it's been addressed. So 20 years from now, when you get a mammogram, it lets the radiologist know this mass has been biopsied. And then, you know, if it's benign, we we move on, you know, and you come you come back every year and, um, or, you know, depending on your age, um, which I also want to talk about when to start all that. Mm -hmm. But I, I, do, I do think that there is really a role. Oh, it's really also best if you perform it in the shower too, um, where your breasts are really slippery. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be, I'm amazed at how many times a number of people that come in because their partner found a breast lump for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I want to circle back just really quick to one thing that you mentioned, because I think this is such an important conversation to share with people, especially ones that aren't in medicine, to know, to have that language, to be able to go to your provider after you find something that feels abnormal and know what to ask for to advocate for yourself. So under, let's just clarify this. So under 30 would be the ultrasound over 30 would be the ultrasound and mammogram. Would that be considered at any point, a diagnostic mammogram? Yeah. So all of it is diagnostic actually. Okay. So diagnostic mammogram is kind of what you would hopefully advocate for yourself. So screening, screening mammogram and a screening mammogram, any screening test is you're asymptomatic. You're not having any symptoms. And when you get a mammogram, you come in, you get your mammogram and you leave and you get your results in the mail. A diagnostic is when you feel something focal, you have a complaint or something that's different. In that case, we're going to get, so over 30, we're going to start with a mammogram and then get the ultrasound. Got it. And the reason we're doing that is because this is our opportunity to look at a 30-year-old breast and maybe she has cancer because we know that we we talked about 30-year-olds do get breast cancer, so do 20-year-olds, but we, you know, we don't start until 30 for mammography usually, um, unless we have to. You know, when you said going back to diagnostic imaging, that's how we started this conversation. When a diagnostic imaging, you also meet with a radiologist. So mm, okay. with me, like and get the results that day. So say everything looks fine, or you know what, we need to do a biopsy. And, you know, you could ask the radiologist, how suspicious are you? Because the radiologist usually knows, like, if it's definitely a cancer or it could be cancer. You know, of of the biopsies we do, 80% of them are benign. That's comforting to know for people, too, the ones that are hesitant to go get this done. It's like 80% things are going to be fine. So, yeah. I'm going to give a disclaimer, unless they give you something called a BIRADS-5, and a BIRADS-5 means it's highly suspicious for cancer, we use something called BIRADS, Breast Imaging Reporting Data System. A radiologist, at the end of every mammography report, it will have your BIRADS category. So BIRADS-4 is suspicious, and that's anywhere between 2 and 95% of chance of it being cancer. That's where that percent of those biopsies will be benign. If you get a category 5, it's or highly suspicious for cancer. That means that we're saying it's over 95% of chance of that being cancer. If I get benign results, I don't buy it. I'm going to take, say, take it out. You know, you're going to see a surgeon, but that's kind of an understanding of our level of suspicion. Okay. And then just really quick, I have another, just really quick question about the biopsy, just because I think it's helpful for people to know typically for breast cancer biopsies, how long do these biopsy results take to come back? So we get results back uh, three business days later. Oh, wow. Okay. Cause I know for some biopsies, it can take weeks and that is just painful for, for a patient. Is the worst part. I always tell people that like, you know, the biopsy is not that bad. It's the, it's the waiting for the results is really the worst part. Um, I'm at a, you know, a tertiary care center, a referral center for breast cancer. So I imagine it would might take longer when you're not at such an institution and, and in some places like Penn, it might be like tomorrow, you know, so it can vary, but like, it shouldn't take longer than five to seven days, you know, ideally less than that. Cause like we said, the waiting is the worst part. There's been like so much amazing information <laughs> in this podcast. And I, I feel like I'm still very fired up on like the self breast exam situation. I know I feel very strongly and I hope I really encourage you guys to promote field on the first and the self breast yeah. exam. You have such a large audience of young women. I think it's our duty to like educate these people that are listening that like 
you might be at risk for breast cancer. And even if you're not, you could still get breast cancer. Everyone's at risk for breast cancer. Beyonce's dad had breast cancer. Did you know Yeah. That? No, I did not know that. Oh, I did not know that. Becca too, also. Oh, wow. I've been dying to talk to Beyonce and see if she's been genetically screened. I mean, that I'm is sure. a huge misconception for sure about oh, breast yeah. cancer. Are there any other major misconceptions that you think people have about breast cancer? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's tons. I mean, no fam- just because you don't have a family history uh, or no genetic mutation doesn't mean you're not at risk. Like I said, everyone's at risk. At risk. If you ever had breasts in your life, you're at risk for breast cancer. It's not an old person's disease, right? Like birds are getting educated and you're your own breast advocate. And that's why I really educate, I really, you know, encourage the monthly self breast exam and the breast cancer screening recommendations, why I choose 40 every year, as opposed, you know, I talk a moment about the breast cancer screening recommendations because they're all over the place. You know, so I 40 every year saves the most lives in average risk women. Like we said, there's definitely a subset of people that won't need to start earlier, but 40 every year saves the most lives. U.S. Preventative Task Force back in 2009 came out and they made this recommendation that you should start breast cancer mammograms at age 50 every two years and stopping at age 74. I just don't get what, like, who's, why make those stipulations? Is, are you actually worried about um, radiation? Are these tests harmful? Or do you just not care? Because that's dumb. Things in your body can change so quickly. Like, I just, I just want to encourage everybody to put, if you have breast tissue, put your hands on your body, lotion yourself up, put your hands on your body and feel for anything that feels abnormal and talk about it. And even the 50 every two years, the reason that they, they cited for like, why not 40 every year is because young women are more likely to have dense tissue, which can make it harder to find Mm -hmm. breast We know there are ways to, you know, we could talk about that, about ways to, uh, by adding ultrasound or MRI, we can get around that. Um, The radiation dose, which we talked about is very small, the anxiety and the false positives you might get. But again, that is every society placing health values on your personal health. I think if you asked any woman, the, like knowing that they were okay, or they had a diagnosis and plan of action to treat, they would choose that. Like the anxiety doesn't matter in those situations. And American Cancer Society recently, they used to do 40 every year and then they actually change it to say 45 every year with an option to start at 40 and like going biennial at some point, but like every two years and having the option to go every year. So it's like choosing your own event. Right. Like at the end of the day, it's so confusing. And I don't know why it's like that. Like, I think it's political because, you know, at the end of the day, I think we, as physicians, we have to provide all that information to the person who's getting the screening test. Unless I'm providing the different, you know, all the different varying recommendations and having a real conversation about it, I'm doing this patient injustice. I'm telling them my preconceived notion. So if I I still see doctors that say 50 every two years. And if I was a woman going to that doctor, I may not know that they are more on the, you know, less conservative side of screening. They're like, you know, there are there are bullies on social media, doctors that say mammograms cause cancer. Don't get them at all. I'm not going to name names. The whole breast cancer community knows I'm talking about. But like, it is like all over the place. And I'm like, let's rein it in. 40 every year saves the most lives. Yeah. 
On that note, can you myth bust for us one more common misconception that actually I think Danny and I have like personally are want to know because we are in the process of maybe freezing of freezing our eggs in the next few months. We're going to be starting different hormones. Danny and I unfortunately have gone on and off hormonal birth control. Can you just quickly one myth bust hormonal birth control, estrogen containing birth control and risk for breast cancer? Let's start with that just real quick. Breast cancer is an estrogen-driven disease, okay? A lot of them have estrogen and progesterone receptors. So it is hormonally active. We know that there is an association with hormonal replacement therapy back in the day. Right has an increased risk in breast cancer. You know, most of the birth control pills that people are on are not the kind that would cause an increased risk of breast cancer. But all of these things go into play. Like when we have our first period, when we choose, you know, when what birth control we we take, um, you know, if we are overweight or not, like these, all these things lead to more and more estrogen in your body, which like I said, breast cancer in many cases is hormonally driven. So I don't know that there is even a clear answer, but it is something yeah. to be of. Like, you know, it goes back to that we're all at risk for breast cancer. And it also goes to the back to the point that there's nothing that you can do to prevent breast cancer. You could only lower your risk. And I like to say that there is a number of things that, that people can do to lower their breast cancer risk, like understanding your risk factors in general. And if you are at increased risk, you know, starting that you know, do maybe considering preventative surgery or preventative like tamoxifen or things that can lower your risk of developing breast cancer or mastectomy if that's what you choose to do. Um, and then there's lots of lifestyle modifications that I think are important, like um, exercising 30 minutes a day, at least three times a week, minimizing alcohol, not everything in moderation. It's like, you know, they say three drinks a week, which is not that much, but again, it's everything in moderation, decreasing the amount of meat, red meat and increasing, incorporating a plant-forward diet. So more, you know, green leafy vegetables. This is good for your health overall. Like this is not just breast cancer. This is overall not smoking, maintaining a healthy weight because we know obesity leads to uh, increased risk of breast cancer. So these are all things in general that we could all improve from, you know, and like I said, but you could do everything right, lead a perfectly clean lifestyle, never touch a hormone in your life and still develop breast cancer. Um, and that's the unfortunate reality that we live in. Robin, you have been such a wealth of knowledge. Like, I feel like we, we've come to the end and we haven't even gotten to talk about the fact that you have your own podcast. So we should do it again. I know. I think we're, I think we're going to have to. Because I, we didn't even get to talk about Zen's breast tissue and why that's important and, and, and more. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're truly what you're truly a wonderful guest. Part of what Jack and I love about the Womit community so much is that we are able to share our resources with a larger amount of people. Um, and by resources, we mean some of like the most informative, knowledgeable, like leading guests in their fields like you. So when it comes to breast health and breast imaging, you also have a podcast that you run called The Booby Docs. And I just want you to kind of go in on that just a little bit on what listeners can expect to um, find on your podcast. Thank you so much I for that plug. And yeah, so I always say follow the booby docs for the breast information. Of course, my sign decided to half die on the day that I'm having. 
And this is the first time I've ever been a guest on a podcast. I'm always the podcast host, never the guest. So this is so exciting for me, uh, especially to be with you. Like I said, I love your podcast. I admire you both. And it's really an honor to be here today. So I run a, a podcast, like Danielle said, the Booby Docs, the Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. And I, this has been an evolution of, of type of things. It started out as like an Instagram live during the pandemic where I was having, we started this thing called Women Crush Wednesday, where we would invite on women that have been affected by breast cancer and shaken up the community. So we had some really incredible Instagram live conversations with breast surgeons that we work with and uh, friends that have had breast cancer and friends that have had genetic mutations. And I was like, wait, this is like a podcast. Like we should just start this, you know? And it was me and Adrian at the time. The, uh, the she's a, Dr. Adrian Rosenthal is the S in my booby docs. Uh, she left social media and left the podcast last year when she, when her dad, unfortunately, um, passed away from cancer, but since she left social media and it's been a really great break from her for her. And it was a necessary thing. I've continued it on. Thankfully, honestly, like it's more motivating than ever after seeing her go through cancer. Personally, I took away a lot of that. And so we started the podcast as a really way to navigate someone who's with a breast cancer diagnosis. So we started with a breast surgeon, which is usually the first person that a patient might meet when they're diagnosed after us with breast cancer, usually the first doctor they might see. And then we spoke to our friend, like I said, and it's, we, we were kind of going back and forth between doctor, patient, doctor, patient, and it's just kind of gone in this really incredible way. Actually, I'm so happy you're talking about fertility because um, two episodes, we talked to two, uh, three incredible women from A Damn Good Life, which is a surrogacy organization. A lot of women that have breast cancer have to go through fertility preservation while they're going through breast cancer treatment, which is insane to me. Um, you know, breast cancer, as you know, egg freezing by itself is a traumatic, you know, a traumatic and complex process. And imagine adding breast cancer on top of that. We're going to have to have you back to talk about that as a whole separate segment. Yeah. And so I've really just, the podcast, this is like my 25th episode now. And like, it's been so cool because I do it, you know, I do it myself and my, I have a med student that works with me that edits it all and do it in all my free time between my three kids and my full time, my my job is a breast radiologist, but it's really, I'm so passionate about it, obviously. And I'm just, yeah, I think I'm kind of just getting started with just, I realized I could just reach so many people with it, as you know. Um, so it's been really amazing watching it grow. And I'm happy for your listeners to get introduced to it as well. Well, we are just so grateful to have you. We're definitely going to have to schedule another episode, maybe uh, for Breast Cancer Month. I know you'll probably be very busy around that time, but it's always such a good reminder for people. Yeah, breast cancer isn't just in October. Let's like book it out for now because um, lots of exciting things happening in October. I'm actually going to take a little time off of social media in the summer because I'm just trying to like refocus for the, you know, the big event, which I feel like is always September, October, even though breast cancer awareness needs to go on every day, which is why you should follow the booby docs for the breast information. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Exactly. And we are going to include all of the links to your social, to your podcast in the show notes. And of course, on Instagram and TikTok, we will share all of the resources for people to find you as well. So Thank you so much. We are so grateful. Also, I want to share with your listeners, I have a code for free genetic screening through JScreen. Oh, this amazing. Anybody. Okay. There's only 50 codes available. So just this is, but it's available now. You could follow me, but 
getjscreened. If you use the code SNJ2023, you can get free. They offer reproductive genetic counseling to see if you're going to, you could pass on genetic mutations to your offspring, or you could do cancer genetic screening where you could decide if you are a carrier for over 60 cancer causing mutations or both. That's amazing. We will definitely include that in the show notes as well. Thank you ladies so much for this opportunity. All right, Robin, thank you you so much. We hope you loved this episode on this lovely Friday. Again, if you know anyone that has been affected by breast cancer, which like we said at the beginning of the episode, unfortunately, we all know someone that has been affected by breast cancer. Be sure to send this along to all of your friends, family, loved ones. So they have all of the education that they need to advocate for their breast health, best health, breast health. I'd love how she said that. I know. I just think it's so, and this is something that my friend Erica wanted to start too. And it was this program called Check Your Breasts. And that's like Y-E-R. She was very, very Southern. Check Your Breasts. She wanted to start like a best friend program. So you guys are all of our best friends and consider this your reminder to check your breasts. Put your hands on your boobs all the time. I mean, like you can do it in public. I don't know if people might not enjoy it. Some people might, but at least every time that you're in the shower, take a look at your breasts, put your hands on them, make sure that there's nothing there that feels abnormal because you are literally the first line of advocacy for yourself and your health. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Um, Every like, share, review really helps um, the podcast and helps Jack and I to continue to do what we love doing, which is bringing you amazing new guests every week. On that note, we will leave you now. WOMED out. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.